Welcome back to a new episode of The Talk, the podcast about changing the world from Nordea private banking. I'm Walter Neslund, and today I meet with an entrepreneur from Sweden who has taken on the task of creating a social network for the biggest hobby in the world. And this network has now become the biggest network in the world for this hobby. The hobby is fishing. The network is called Fishbrain. And today I have the great honor of talking to its founder and CEO, Johan Atby. Well, I guess first off, you are doing a app for sports fishing. Correct. And uh, people need to understand why that is such a big deal. And I think the best way to do that is just to run some numbers. So there is a couple of reasons. First of all, there, the re- one of the reasons I started, it's fish, sport fishing is the world's largest hobby, which very few people know. Uh, there are 50 million Americans that fish every year. They fish 19.4 times per year. So it's a, a lot more frequent than people do. And they spend a ton of money. It's a $50 billion industry in the States alone. So there are many and they spend a lot of time on the water and they spend a lot of money, which made me very, very excited about the opportunity. So how lo- how large did it say the market was? 50 bil- billion US dollar. Okay, yeah. So in the US alone. In the US alone. So mm. it's the world's, so I mean, just that fact alone that it's the world's biggest hobby. I think we all think that there are other hobbies like tennis or golf, I don't know, whatever, that would be big, but this is as big as both of those combined, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So you have a great market to start with, and it's a huge hobby, and it's also, I guess, fun. Are you a fishing fan yourself from the beginning, or where did this interest come from? It definitely didn't start from that. I, I am a fisherman. I know there are a couple of articles saying that I'm not a fisherman. That's not true. I'm born and raised on a farm, so I have been hunting and fishing since I was a kid. But it's not my biggest passion. Uh, I'm more of a cyclist than I'm a fisherman. So starting fish brain was more from coming from a numbers perspective, because I have my background in academia to start with, but uh, then I became an entrepreneur. So for me, that was more spotting, thinking about what are the macro trends that I believe in and spotting this this opportunity. But yes, I know how to fish. I love to fly fish. Yeah. If I can get out with my rod, I love it. But I, fi- I even think since after I started fishing, I think I fish less than I did before. <laughs> I work too much. But you meet a lot of great fisher, fishermen and fisher, fisher. This is fisher women or anglers. Anglers. Do you anglers. meet a lot of anglers? I do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I guess you've learned a lot from them too. Then I don't have time to go fishing with them that much. So it's uh, this is something you really have to practice rather than uh, learning how to fish in theory. It's uh, so I don't get out to fish that much with uh, with the crazy good ones. Sometimes I do, but uh, but not that often. And you said you were from academia. What what is your background? My background is in, I started out in uh, mathematics and physics, and then I went straight for a PhD in AI. Uh, so I started in uh, Chalmers University of Technology, then I spent some time at the Santa Fe Institute in New Mexico, which is a fabulous place. I think there are three or four Nobel Prize winners over there. Wow. So it was a great place to be. It's a pretty great place to be just from a nature perspective too, I know, right? I know. I'm an outdoors uh, person for sure. So it's great skiing and hiking and everything. It's also, it's it's very, very beautiful in Santa Fe. Yeah. And from there, you went into entrepreneurship pretty early, right? Mm-hmm. What what happened after academia? So the thing is, uh, when I was at the Santa Fe Institute, I was super inspired because the, the these super smart professors, many of them, they had their own side gigs. They started one or two other companies and many of them very successful. 
So I thought, hey, I can also do the same. While, while I finish my PhD, why don't I start a company? And I started a company. I never finished my PhD. <laughs> so that was, that was the end of my academia, uh, career in academia yeah. and my start as an, as an entrepreneur. So yeah, I guess we've heard that story before, right? That I know. It happens I, from time to time. Pretty, I think it's pretty frequent. But, but uh, what I wanted to do is it's, uh, I wanted to leverage my background in AI. So that's what I did. So my first company, which was all about fixing computer support problems using AI. So... Uh, gathering a lot of endpoint data and using machine learning to fix computer-related issues, which was also easy in theory and super hard in reality, but somehow we got it to work. Yeah, and, and you start, did you start that company in Sweden? Or I did. US? In Sweden, yeah. but you moved it to the US. Correct. And uh, why was that? Uh, because this was a B2B uh, company, so we were selling for to, mostly to large enterprises, and we pretty quickly tapped out the Swedish market because there aren't that many big companies. And especially since the best fit was companies with uh, a lot of computers. So we went for the US and working directly with the software and with the hardware companies, with the service providers, the telcos. So we ended up having yeah, big, big, big corporate clients. We got Symantec in Cupertino. I managed to get Microsoft as a customer. So, yeah, and so everything is bigger in the States. And yeah. if you run a tech company, there's, at, at that point in time, I think it's very different today. I think it's a great place to run a startup in Stockholm 2020. It wasn't, I moved to Silicon Valley in 2007. Stockholm was not a great place to, to run a company because it was miss, missing venture capital. There wasn't uh, capital available. The, the the talent pool was very limited, so uh, but today is very different. Now you have the uh, at Fishbrain you have the, the your biggest market in the U.S. Correct, but you're yep. running the company from Sweden. I know. How it's how's, weird. How's, how's, how does that work? <laughs> the, uh, the the reason behind it is because when I, I sold my first company and the buyer was on the East Coast, so we lived outside Boston for a while. I was locked in for a year and a half, and. Uh, then we didn't want to stay there because as, as an entrepreneur, it's, it's Boston is beautiful. Massachusetts is beautiful. We loved per, from a personal perspective. It was great. But as an entrepreneur, it's not that great because I haven't gone to MIT nor Harvard. And many of those networks are closed. Whereas Silicon Valley, it's, it's, everything is open. As long as you have something to contribute with, you're more than welcome. So it was either moving back to Silicon Valley or move back to, uh, to Sweden again. And, my wife is Swedish. We've been out of the country for many, many years. And today, I'm very happy that we actually start Fishman in Sweden and not in Silicon Valley. Because I think today there is a host of issues in, in Silicon Valley. I have a lot of friends that run companies in Silicon Valley. I don't think that's an ideal place to, uh, to even before the pandemic. And uh, I don't think it's a great place to run a company. There are pros, of course, like all tech hubs, there are pros and cons. There's certainly pros uh, running a company in Silicon Valley, but I think the from a net perspective, I think there's a net positive running the company in Stockholm versus running the company in Silicon Valley. Yeah, I mean, even uh, I mean, it's not only in Silicon Valley things are moving out to Austin or whatever they other are, places. Yeah, yeah. I guess housing is one big challenge there, and housing, the cost of living is yeah. just ridiculous. The traffic situation is horrible. You think you have tra traffic in Stockholm? Oh, welcome to San Francisco. <laughs> you, haven't, you haven't seen anything yet. And if, if you go to LA, it's even worse. Yeah. And so it's extremely hard. It's very competitive because the big tech giants like Apple, Tesla, and Google, they can pay so much because they make so much money 
So they more or less, we have at Fishbrain, we have a lot of people in machine learning. They would get poached daily by these these large companies that would pay up two, three, four times as much as we can pay. We, we are a startup or a scale up, so yeah. we cannot pay. We cannot compete with salary. So uh, no, right? You can compete with with uh, fishing. <laughs> compete with actually making an impact <laughs> and not being being a very very tiny cog in a very very big yeah. machinery. I think yeah. that's what we can compete with. But you're about you're seventy employees, about right about there. A little right? bit more, yeah. A little bit more, mm-hmm. yeah. And and they are from. 30 different countries. They are. No, I think it's good to have a multicultural environment because we are, our audiences, even though we have the majority of users are in the US, so we have a lot of Americans in the company, but uh, eventually we will be global. I think it's good. Be, I think it's really hard to build a global product without actually people from, from these countries. So I think it's it's good to have a, a, a global workforce. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about how the product works? How mm-hmm. does this app work? So it's it's basically two things. If you don't know fishing that much, you don't fishing is totally about bragging, uh, because a lot of fishing today, the anglers they don't keep the fish. They practice what's called catch and release. So they land the fish, they unhook it, they take a picture or increasingly so video, and uh, then when they have it, they want to brag about that. They spend so much money, they spend so much time uh, landing that dream catch, so they want to brag. But that type of content. Uh, I'm in general a very big believer in vertical social networks. I think the, if, for example, watching the social dilemma, now, I think the the days of general social is over. I think that will be overtaking by more vertical social networks yeah, or niche or uh, a niche. Yeah. yeah, because you will have so much better engagement if you're in a group of like-minded versus in a group of friends because you don't share that many interests with uh, with your friends. So you have the pictures. You want to brag about it, but you want to brag. Uh, in a peer group, not in a friends group, because your friends on Instagram or on Facebook, or if you post this on YouTube, you get very little engagement. And that doesn't matter whether this is fishing or cooking or baseball or hockey or painting or music, whatever. You don't get good engagement on specialty content. So you want to you have that discussions, but you want to have it with, with peers. Then from a utility side, we're all about making an angler a better angler, because Every angler, no matter the level, whether you're a novice or you're an intermediate or you're a, an avid angler, you either want to catch more fish, different species, larger larger fish. So here comes the data play. And I love uh, companies where you can actually crowdsource a data set that doesn't exist before. And that we definitely do in, in, in Fishbrain. So when users log their catches, we collect like 25 parameters on every single catch. What was the air pressure? What was the water temperature? The wind speed, the wind direction, the tide, the moon phase, the everything. Location, I have to say, it's optional. As an angler, you, you don't need to, it's very important, you don't need to share <laughs> your uh, honey holes. You don't have to, it's completely optional. Yeah. And it always will be. But the weather parameters, and then we apply machine learning on top of this data set. So we can actually tell anglers when, where, and how to fish. This isn't possible before, because if you're an avid angler, if you to- say that you ask 100 avid anglers when, where, and how to fish, you will get exactly 100 different answers. That's because one person can only fish that much. But if you aggregate a lot of this sport fishing data, you can actually figure out the patterns in a very different way. Right, just to be clear, so you, you have the location. 
but you, they, you don't share the location. We would never share the location. Right, but no. you have it. We have it. Right, So that, yeah. and that's how you can collect all the other data, the air pressure and the climate. And Correct, everything. from a, from integration with weather services. So we don't, but integrating with weather services, we collect those, we use, uh, we've built a model. So when you take a picture, and this is something we co-developed with Google, it's pretty cool. Yeah. From the image, we can automatically identify the species uh, and that's cool. they featured Fishbane on their keynote presentation oh, last really? year because of this. Yeah. So that's uh, is that the the um, uh, whatever it's called the Google where you use the camera and it identifies whatever. Correct. Yep. Right. Yep. My, my son. Yep. Lo- my son loves that. <laughs> we we trained that. We did it with Google. It's Google's algorithms. Yeah. But it's trained on our data set. Oh, really? Because they don't have the data set. We have ah. the pictures of fish. So people in the office went through. This is a, a largemouth bass. This is a smallmouth bass. This is a muskie. <laughs> Manually, for uh, we have ten million catches. That's so wonderful. That's a lot of that's that's some hard work. That's wonderful, huh? So uh, you should probably have that as your uh, what's it called when you have when they check that you're human. Correct. Yep. What's that called? Oh yeah, I know what you mean. Whatever it's called, yeah, uh, and you, you capture have to, capture exactly. You have to identify like the traffic lights mm-hmm. and everything. You should mm-hmm. do that with sea bass and yep. yeah. That. <laughs> <laughs> this is a this is a muskie. This is a pike. This is exactly. Um, okay, so that 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 is that is very 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 cool, of course. And so and, ba- so basically, there are two parts to fishbrand. One is the the community that you can actually share information with like minded. Mm-hmm. Second is this utility part: how we can actually leveraging the data, how we can make you a better angler, right? Which is similar to this that happened in other industries. Like, for, I think a good example is Waze, where you crowdsource traffic information. Uh, it cannot be done by one person because one person can only drive that much. But when you have the collective information. And when you reach a critical mass of users, you suddenly become a very valuable uh, service for the users. Right. And are you the biggest, uh, the biggest community for fishing in the world? By far. And, by far. And, and uh, it's it's the biggest uh, hobby. So and that's that combination is pretty cool in in and of itself. But obviously, who else is going to be able to gather fish images you know, in this at the scale that you are? No, I think it was. But it was really hard because when we started, we were not. Uh, I think we had our first app in the market 2014. We were not the first. Like Spotify wasn't the first music service. and uh, so. But we but we knew that there were very strong network effects in what we do. So we knew we needed to be the first one to hit this tipping point to cr- critical mass of users. Hence, we didn't monetize for the first three years. It was all about getting users, getting users, at more, not at any cost, but definitely getting users and getting them to stick on a platform. So only when we start to really accelerate away from the competition, then we turn on monetization. So it was very, it was an expensive way, but that was the only way to to get started. Yeah, I, I guess that's uh, what you need to do, especially in these uh, vertical or, or niche. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, I would say in any company where there are strong network effects, because yeah. the winner is the one that reaches tipping point or reach scale, right. for, first one to scale. Yeah. And the, the fax uh, machine effect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. As we know it, yep. our old, our, us old timers. <laughs> but so I guess a key metric for you must be how many how many catches do you have? Correct. Yeah. So how many catches do you have? Uh, 10 million. 10 million. So that's the north star of the company. So it's absolutely because that drives more or less everything in the company. That's the data collection. Now we launched, we have a marketplace. So users can actually buy the fishing gear. We can make those recommendations based on based on the catches. So that that drives more or less everything, correct? Right, and you can recommend what you should bring with you out on a certain day at a certain Definitely. weather. And, yeah. yeah, that that is of course amazing because there's, uh, I guess, there's a lot of magic in this world. 
otherwise people have this idea of this mm-hmm. magical lure or whatever. I know, I know. Yep. And now you can bring a little bit of data into that. I know, we can debunk a lot of myths. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Based on it, data. Is there a special one that you think that this is uh, one that we really debunked? I think it's pretty obvious from the data we see that the most important thing you do is you actually fish. <laughs> it's actually less about <laughs> it's actually less about the gear. Uh, yeah, frankly, it's less about the gear. But I think it's 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 if you take an avalanger, it's so much more than the gear. But it's also how do you retrieve the bait? Because e- even if you put the same equipment in and give the same equipment to two anglers, the one that's better will catch more fish. They know better how to cast. They know better how to retrieve the lure and and strike. And a lot of anglers, they miss a lot of strikes. So even if you put the same equipment to, to, to anglers, one of them will, the better one will, over time. There is, this, of course, there's an element of luck in fishing as well. But say over time, the better angler will catch a lot, not just a little, but a lot more fish. Right. As, or as we say in the industry, the better angler will get more luck. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't that something like <laughs> Ingvar Stian Mark said said something around that? Exactly. Because, yeah, something yeah. Uh, something like that. Oh yeah, I think he said it. The more I practice, it's it's funny. The more I practice, the more luck I get. Exactly. Like that. That that was, ex- that's yeah. exactly yeah. it. That's a great quote. It's a great. We quote. should bring him on the podcast. Yeah, we should. So, just one question about product. I know I'm skipping skipping around a little bit, but just, I I you've I seen a quote quote from you saying that innovate the core and copy the rest. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by that? This is so important today's word because when you build a fishbone, of course there are there's a social element to it. Uh, one would think that okay, copy what's working on Facebook and copy what's working on Instagram or copy what's working on now on TikTok. That's not really how it works. I think there are certain things that are just copy because it's it's more or less working on their platforms. But I think it's critical today that you identify what's core for your business and double down on that one and for us it's doing those the learnings over the years that everything we've done which is more or less copy from others it doesn't work Uh, because facebook and instagram and tiktok and they're working quite okay Uh, but the more we invest and the more time we spend on doing phishing specific features the better the numbers but that doesn't mean that we can ignore the other parts because there's a there's a bar in social. If we don't hit that bar, people won't be using Fishburn. But we don't have to innovate there. We can just do, okay, this is the minimum bar. So that we do. But then we invest in, okay, the phishing-specific features that uh, that general social would never think about uh, doing. Right. So yeah. so that's where we need to innovate. It's around the core. How do we how do we actually make a fantastic service for anglers? while maintaining this bar in in social or or any other utility app which is increasingly hard because if you look at i get a more or less every week i get someone that contacts me saying oh i want to do fishman for xyz for an, for another vertical and i said ah oh, can, can you help me i said i'm sorry but the devil is really in the detail because i think vertical social makes a lot of sense in some vertical but not in every vertical because if you cannot use the data and actually make a clear differentiated service against general social, you're not gonna you're not gonna succeed. Right. You're not gonna succeed. That that is uh, that's a very crucial thing that you're saying now. I think for people to understand uh, that that uh, um, 
is is almost as if I, we could have spent an, an entire episode on on that. Yeah, you know? because I, there's so many startups, and I, I think that the listeners of this podcast are some of them are of course startups, but many are also investors, mm-hmm. and uh, they I would imagine would be very happy to understand like what should I look for, and th- this what you're saying right now I think is a key thing to your success and to the success of many successful startups. And one thing I like is is in because after I sold my previous company, I did some angel investing. I still do. I love companies with strong network effects. And first of all, they they're incredibly hard. Yeah. Uh, uh, but the the outcome is often very binary. Either become this, it, it becomes you become the platform or network for uh, for the vertical or not. If you do, outcome is great. If you don't, it's uh, you don't get anything. Uh, but it's also very. Because when you get to this position, it's very, very hard for a competitor. Even if someone launches a better, say that there's a new service competitor to Fishbrain that launches. Not only do they need to do a much, much, much better service, uh, but they also need, we accumulated data over now six years. And we have the users on the platform. So you have to, first, you have to migrate existing users from one platform to another. It's not okay just for one person to leave the platform because everyone else will still be on the platform. And since the way we can actually deliver this uh, utility is because of the data we accumulated over the years. Yeah, they don't have 10, th- don't 10 million have, catches. No, they don't have yeah, that. Right. So uh, so I love businesses with uh, strong, strong, the stronger the better, with strong yeah. network effects. Yeah, it's a real winner-takes-all kind of situation. It is, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's it's so interesting that you say that we are way bigger, because if you're yeah. way bigger, it's really hard for anybody. If you else. look at the the official download ranks, if you take number two, there I think we grow fifty times as as fast as number two in the US. Yeah, fifty times. Yeah, not not twice as fast. Fifty right. times. Uh, that's in, that's incredible. Yeah. Yes, uh, of course, very hard to catch up. Yeah. And also, you have a very price insensitive crowd right people spend a ton of money on on uh, gear and they do yeah much like strava i know very you're a cyclist sim- yeah very similar yeah. very very similar to strava yeah uh and then you can also charge for your service so it doesn't need to be as free of charge app it can mm-hmm. it can and, and it, that's how it works too right there's a freemium model it's a freemium model yeah and i want to keep it that way i get a question okay why don't you make fishbrand 100 pro uh paid for but uh First of all, we are crowdsourcing data and we have a lot of kids. Phishing is becoming very... If you ask people, oh, oh what's, what's, what, how's your crowd looking like? Most people would think, oh, it's a 50, 60 white, year, uh, white man. That's not how phishing looks like in the States. It's growing in popularity amongst kids. So if you look at the age distribution, the peak is around 35 now. Uh, and then it actually goes down. And it's increasing your popularity in women. And if you take kids, it's not they might not be willing to shell out uh, 10 bucks per month uh, for Fishbrain. But I want them on the platform because first of all, there's very, it's very good discussions. This is not like where there's a lot of hate like a Twitter or Facebook or something like that. And it's not because we do something better at Fishbrain. It's just because when you think about your hobby, you're in a positive mindset. You're not in a negative mindset. You don't discuss politics. You don't discuss those type of touchy subjects on uh, on on fishbrain you talk about fishing what's next in fishbrain and what's next for you do you how do you see the future of of for you and for fishbrain if we start with fishbrain we have global expansion to do uh, we haven't done that yet 
we have global investors. We have SoftBank and B Capital with Facebook co-founder Eduardo Severin. And of course, they want us to be fishing is very global. It's big in Asia. It's big in Brazil. It's big in Russia. It's big in not all, but many countries in Europe. We have our user base in the States. And there's a reason for that, because if you have network effects can either be global or local. Ours are very local, in some cases hyper-local, because the vast majority of fishing is done within two-hour driving distance from where you live. So this is a market where we have to build actually zip code by or state by state by state or city by city. So that's left. And then also about six months ago, we launched a new chapter in Fishbrain which is, it was on the business plan. Uh, six years ago, we still wrote the business plan. These days, you don't really write a business plan. I did. And that was, we started with free because we needed to hit the critical mass of users. Then we started to monetize on a subscription. But then we also realized if we are the only one having this data set, say do you want to go fishing for, say, trout in Lake Tahoe in, uh, in September, here's the best equipment pretty obvious that that's a pretty good commerce opportunity not just making the recommendation so we actually launched a marketplace uh, for doing this in the states only not not outside the states so we have now 70 brands 45,000 products on the on the marketplace so that's and that's very new for us so it's it's working but we need to scale that i am very bullish when it comes i think there will be a next generation of social and that is vertical not general and it's happening not just in fishing, it's happening in so many different different verticals now. You see fewer people are using Facebook. And it's not that people are less social. It's, it's just that these discussions are going elsewhere. And I think there's definitely a macro trend that people spend more time and more money on their hobbies. So I think it's, it's very good timing, building a vertical social network. But coming back to that again, it's it's really you really if you're interested in that, which I know a lot of people are, you really need to be clear from day one that you have a super clear differentiator against towards general social, because if you don't, if you say that you do this only for the social part, you ain't gonna beat Instagram, you ain't gonna beat TikTok, Facebook, forget about it. You really have to have a uh, something something unique for the audience, and ideally something data based. Uh, so you can actually crowdsource data because that creates those network effects. But you have to have a very, very crisp uh, differentiator that's easy to communicate and easy for uh, for users to understand, customers to understand. And we struggled with that. We made so many mistakes. Like all star, it's not, you read it, it sounds like, oh, you start here and you did everything right. Hell no. And that's true whether you're a clown or a Spotify or IZL or... Yeah. That's uh, yeah. that's how, how the life as a human. <laughs> I know that's what it's like running starting a company. It's it's yeah. it's it's a roller coaster. My yeah. first company was a roller coaster. Uh, same, with, I think it's it's true for all companies. Yeah, and you know, so you, you the biggest hobby in the world, the biggest platform in that hobby is from Sweden. Is from the Nordic countries. We are all very proud of that and very happy to have you on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to The Talk, the podcast about changing the world from Nordea private banking. I'm Walter Neslund, and for the rest of this season, I'll be taking you through a total of 12 interviews with the three most interesting entrepreneurs we can think of from the four Nordic countries. And the lineup we have is fantastic. So hit subscribe to make sure you don't miss any of them. And thanks again. Have a great day.